You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Canton and Simeu Show, episode two of uh, myself and Tom's weekly crossover show. Really looking forward to get into it, getting into it again. Uh, but just a quick update for those of you who've maybe missed the first episode. Now, what we're doing is we're rotating it between the two channels. So you'll find last week's episode on Tom's The Guna Talk TV, linked in the description, linked in the title. Make sure you head over there and subscribe if you haven't done so already. But you can find the show on both of our audio platforms. So you can check out episode one on either of our podcast platforms if you missed that as well. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to it once more. Tom, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. It's been a hectic week, uh, as I've just talked to you about. And as my followers on my channel know very much about my car key situation. But besides that, it's been good. How about you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. It's been a, a really busy week. And as I was saying to you, off air I've I tried desperately to take today off because mm. I'm at this place now where I'm working at the weekends pretty much every single time and it's kind of like well I need to take a day off right and it just never happens always something comes up first thing in the morning and it kind of takes you off yeah on a on a bit of a tangent and and that, then the day's gone simple as that mm. um lots to get into as always Tom and and we'll kick off by I guess looking ahead to the game on Sunday Big game for the Arsenal, looking to hopefully, um, you know, continue the strong run of form that we're on. I know we're favourites going into this. Is there any part of you that's a little bit wary of Watford? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's what's the famous saying? There's no easy game in the Premier League. They put five past Everton, who have proven this season to be a fairly decent side under Rafa Benitez, although it looks to be unravelling a little bit of late. So you you can't take any of the teams lightly. They've got players that can hurt us. Is Melistar? We know all about him and and his talents and his qualities as well. They signed some some decent players. Musa Sissoko has has obviously been a big part of their midfield, and we know from his time at Spurs can hurt us. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm wary of them, but it is a game that we should be winning. And if we have ambitions of getting into the top six, let alone the top four, like we need to be winning this game and, and winning it with a good performance as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in terms of the team, I think, you know, we can predict most of it. But I guess one of the big questions going into the game is Kieran Tierney. Now, we know that he's back training or he was due to train today. I think in my eyes, the game's probably coming around a little bit too soon for him. But mm. where are you on this whole Tierney-Tavares debate? Because I'm not saying that Kieran Tierney's a bad left-back, but there's absolutely no reason for Mikel Arteta to drop Nuno Tavares, is there, surely? Not in this game against Watford, um, especially considering Tierney's not had a full week's worth of training yet. I mean, throwing him in after two days' worth of training would be a little strange and and very risky, especially considering he's going to be playing for Scotland. Like, there's not much that's going to stop Steve Clark from selecting Tierney because he's such an important part of their squad and they're desperate to get a qualification for next year's World Cup for the first time in I mean, living memory, I think, for Scotland being in a World Cup competition. So I think it's going to be important that Arteta takes that into account. Has him on the bench, sure, in case something happens. and He's back fit. There's nothing wrong with throwing him in a few minutes at the end if we need him to, to add some kind of versatility on the left-hand side, a little bit more threat, crosses into the box sort of thing. But 
we don't need to start him. You're right, Nuno Tavares has been brilliant. The only time I would think there's a genuine argument to start Tierney is when we play Liverpool after the international break. We're up against Mohamed Salah. You've got this young kid in Tavares who's done very well, yes, but in my opinion, going up against the best player in the world right now, Tierney's experience may be beneficial in that game to not necessarily stop it because I don't think you can stop Tierney, but sorry, you can't stop Salah, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be very, very difficult to do it. Yeah, indeed. Um, obviously, a win at the weekend continues, as I said, that really positive run that Arsenal have been on. And I guess looking ahead to the fact that we've got Liverpool, it kind of adds to the importance of this one, doesn't it? Because three points, and not just three points, it's three points from our next two games at minimum. And it kind of gives us a bit of a safety net going into Liverpool, whereby if we do get beat, which I think, you know, is, there's a good chance of that happening. We're not quite at the stage where we can say we're going to go to Anfield and, and, and play them off the park. But winning the game does really kind of, I think, take the pressure off going into that game against Anfield. It's kind of a bit of a free hit. And I know as Arsenal, we should never say that, but it does feel like that to me. Yeah, it's it shouldn't be a free hit. And as I said before, no game is a free hit. It's just... It's the type of game you can see Arsenal slipping up in. Like it's the, it's the classic stereotypical, you've got to win over Aston Villa, you've got to win over Leicester. We're playing quite late in the weekend as well, which means there's going to be the chance to see some of our rivals maybe slip up points-wise and the opportunity opens up. And you know that whenever our rivals drop points, we never take advantage of it. It just, it never happens. And we end up ruining those weekends that we didn't. So I... It, it's a game in which you need to see us getting a good performance and a good victory, but it's quite apt. So I think I was saying earlier to a friend of mine, it's quite apt they play in yellow because it could be a banana skin for us uh, in, in, on Sunday. Yeah, it, it kind of, I don't know. It's it's one of those games where I'm looking at it and, you know, Watford, they've been quite poor this season. And we did an opposition view segment a little bit mm. earlier on today with, with Jacob Colshaw, who's a, a colleague and a good friend of mine. Um, he's a massive Watford fan. And we were looking at some of the statistics going into this game together at the time. And one of the interesting things was that although, you know, they're they're hopeless defensively or they've shown to be hopeless defensively so far, yeah, probably yeah. be solid as anything come Sunday. But one of the things that really surprised me was that on average, actually, they create more chances per game than us, according to the Premier League stats. So they mm. average 1.4 big chances per game which is more than us. They haven't kept any clean sheets, but they also average um, the same amount of goals scored as us. And that's quite eye-opening, I think, when you think about where Watford are in the table and what their aspirations are for the season and where ours are. So it, it isn't an opponent that we can take lightly, is it? No, absolutely not. I mean, we. I think the, the problem with averaging kind of Arsenal's stats this season is that they take into account the first three games in which we were... Mm absolutely dreadful and we are a completely different side after the that first international break and the Man City 5-0 I mean to think that after the 5-0 drubbing at the Etihad that in just what is it seven games time we would have been three points behind Man City again I would have said you are mad like there is no chance we're going to be sitting three points behind Man City in seven games after losing 5-0 no goals no wins bottom of the table like there's no chance and yet here we are and it's amazing how things turn around. I just want to see Arsenal go into this game against Watford, play with the same exact team that they used against Leicester, 
continue that strong performance. Obviously, I want to see more dominance than we saw against Leicester because Leicester are a much better side than Watford are, and we should be dominating this course, especially at home. Like our, the Emirates needs to become a fortress for us this season. We really did struggle last campaign to, to get consistent runs of performances at the ground. A lot of that, yes, was to do in part with, with stadiums still not full and at the start of the season, but that gradually did come back towards the end of the season. And, and now that we've got full stadiums all throughout the season, the Emirates has to become this really intimidating place. And when I was at the ground for the Aston Villa game, as I know you were as well, it... It was an insane atmosphere for that match. And the, the under the lights on that Friday evening, it really felt like Aston Villa were nowhere near the side that we've come to know them as recently. Obviously, they came to the Emirates the previous season, battered us 3-0. Ollie Watkins got a couple of goals. They've added players since then. Yes, they've lost Jack Grealish, but they're still a very decent side that are having a tricky start to the campaign. I wouldn't be surprised to see Dean Smith go if they do drop points against Southampton this weekend. But... It was such a crucial fixture for us that we then needed to build upon, which we did against Leicester. But do you, not, do you look at the Watford game yourself and go, yes, but the whole free hit, like it's a nice, it's a nice kind of, I was going to say nice victory. It's a nice win for us to have there. If we go into that game against Liverpool, you're then 10 games uh, unbeaten. You're, you've got three wins on the spin. Liverpool themselves have struggled in their previous league fixture against Brighton and opened up kind of the possibility of where you can hurt Liverpool as well. They'll have an interesting game this week and I think they're playing West Ham this weekend. So yeah, that's exactly. So that's going to be a really big test for them again. And then you've got the international break, which kind of simmers things back down. So do you, do you think that the Liverpool game after this Watford match comes at an interesting time for Arsenal? Yeah, it does. When I say free hit, I mean that Liverpool becomes a free hit if we beat oh, Watford. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sorry, so, I've misinterpreted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, if we if we beat Watford and we put that three points in the bag, then moving into Liverpool, if we get nothing, which is what most people expect us to get, yeah. then you say, okay, well, you know, Liverpool are much better than us. They're at a much be- different stage of their or mm. a very different stage of their development. That game becomes a free hit for me. And then I'm only looking for performance sure. or some improvement and we keep moving. It depends on the but, performance though, doesn't it? Like Because if, yeah. if we go, so we've gone to Anfield before and been battered, like absolutely ruined. And if we go into that game and we play like we did under Unai Emery, I remember when we think it was what it 4-5-1. I remember Socrates gave away a penalty. I think we scored really on through Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Um, if we go in and put that type of performance, that there will be a meltdown. And like, there's not much you can turn around and say that, yeah, it is Liverpool because they are a very good team. I'm not going to be annoyed if we lose, but I'll be annoyed if we just bend over, basically, and just accept the, a ridiculous defeat. Yeah, exactly. The performance is obviously is obviously massive. You know, if if we show some signs of kind of being able to manage that type of fixture a lot better than we have in years gone by, then mm. again, people are going to say, okay, you know, although we didn't take any points in that, particular scenario we'd have shown that we are closer at least to competing with those teams and I think most sensible Arsenal fans out there are aware of exactly where we're at and understand exactly you know how far we still have to come before we're going to be you know anywhere near challenging for the Premier League title and at the the highest level and Liverpool are you know a fantastic side but they are proof to me that if you are clever in the transfer market if you sell your players for the maximum that you can get. Mm. And you've got a good coach with a good philosophy that you can close the gap on these sides, like Chelsea and City, who seem to have bottomless pockets. That doesn't mean that uh, you're going to be able to sustain that. You know, Jurgen Klopp's won one Premier League title, and I'd I'd actually be surprised if he wins another because of how financially, you know, advanced 
Chelsea and City are. I really do believe that. I think mm. if Liverpool... They're my favourites this season for the title. You know what? Based on what we've seen so far, I mm. think they've been the best team. My worry is that if they pick up a couple of injuries, they don't have the depth necessarily sure. that Chelsea or City have to keep going. And and so I think over the course of the season, in my view, they, they'll probably fall off. But even still, man, to, to be competing with those clubs when you're not spending anywhere near what they are is... Mm. is is proof, I guess, that if you do stick with a coach, if you do give him time, if you do allow him to embed a philosophy and build everything around that, it's not impossible to be up there again. And that's... It's, it's not. It's just, I think that if you look at kind of the the development of Klopp at Liverpool and the development of Arteta at Arsenal, the, the difference is, is that, I mean, Klopp in himself didn't really have too many poor uh, recruitment choices after the whole Brendan Rodgers chaos with Balotelli and, and, and Lambert and, and play people like this and it didn't make too much sense to to bring in kind of those style of players and so when Klopp comes in you start seeing the signings like Sadio Mane coming in gradually as they build up towards a Champions League qualification kind of established side but away from that top six they were now an established top four team you bring in your Allisons your Van Dykes etc Arteta's started to do that but the difference is with those two is that Arteta doesn't have the experience that Klopp had and has fallen a lot further during his tenure than Klopp ever did with Liverpool. Like we, Klopp was never near a relegation fight <laughs> with, with Liverpool. And it, that, those two kind of differences in their, in their tenures and what they've experienced along their routes, I, I see the theory behind comparing them, but it's, I think it's dangerous to say, and I'm not saying you are, but it's dangerous to look at it and go, well, it's worked like this for Klopp. It's going to go kind of that same route for, or that it could go that same route for Arteta. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, obviously Jurgen Klopp came in with a lot more kind of credit in the bank, didn't mm. he, from what he'd done previously at Dortmund, et cetera, et cetera. But I guess the, the other point as well, and, you know, when you are going to make that comparison is, yes, Jurgen Klopp never fell, you know, that far down. But the season before, if I'm not mistaken, Brendan Rodgers got sacked, they could have won the Premier League title. They were close to winning the Premier League title, yeah. which suggests that mm. the the team that Klopp took over was at a higher level than the team that Arteta took over. And he didn't have mm. so much of the you know, players lingering around the club that just didn't want to be there. And we didn't want them here. And, you know, so I think... Whilst I, I get what you're saying, I don't think Klopp ever went that low with Liverpool to the point that mm. we've been with Arteta, which is obviously, you know, something that was of great concern to a lot of us. But I just think that Liverpool, you know, the season prior to Brendan Rodgers getting sacked, they were right up there. And it, it but for a yeah. slip, they would have probably won the Premier League title. So that you could team, argue they outperformed though under Rodgers yeah, that season. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah, I think that, that that squad that was was up there and competing for the title, like it shouldn't have done. Like I don't. I think Rogers did an amazing job that year. And like when people kind of look at him as going, well, they they choked and they did choke. But to that squad that was there competing for a title, and you look at like the elevens that he was using, like, everyone talks about the SAS, but it was a ridiculous achievement to get that team to compete for a title. I thought, but yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. And when you've got players to kick off your season, like Suarez, you had Sterling still there, I believe, at the start of Klopp's yeah. tenure, and and Sturridge too, and. Yes, he had those key players. It's just the difference is that the Arteta can't really miss at this point. He can't afford to miss with many transfers. He's had a couple of misses with like Willian and Runison under his tenure. 
and we've got eight players in now and the six we had that we did this season Gabriel and Partey being added to those six as well that's eight that's eight W's in my view even though I think Erdogan is probably the lowest of that list only because Lacazette's come to the fore and maybe Erdogan's not necessarily transition but I still think it's eight W's in regards to the transfer business we've done it's it's a really hard debate to have because obviously we won't it's all speculative like we don't know how Arteta is going to finish this season we could lose this game on Sunday and it's a completely different kind of environment again isn't it yeah that's the that's the worry isn't it because of everything that's gone on in the past it feels like we're only ever one defeat away from a crisis and and is that something that is exclusive to Arsenal or is that something that is seems to be modern football I don't think so. I I think there's an element of, say, it depends because you have to look at it club by club. If, if you're looking at it Arsenal-wise, yes, we are always going to be one loss away from a meltdown because we have, and you and I know as, as content creators and have grown our own audiences, we have a very reactionary fan base and we're part of that. We react to things all the time, not necessarily as <laughs> with the same kind of level of volatility as, as a lot of people, but the Arsenal fan base is very volatile in its reactions. It is very reactionary. And if we look, if we drop points, even if we're to say draw against Watford, the calls for Arteta out will be there. Like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Even though we've gone into this game, three points behind Manchester city. If we drop points against Watford, the calls for Arteta to go, the calls that are saying Arteta is not good enough will be back. And I'm not yet back on the Arteta train yet. I'm certainly someone who, after, as we've talked about after Villarreal got off the train and I need to see some consistency. But just if we if we drop points against Watford or if we lose against Watford, sure, I'm definitely going to question things. And I'd be like, yeah, that's another chance for consistency to be built up missed. But I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, look, that proves my point of view right. That one game is it. I'm not going to sit there and be that, you know, that agendered if you want to be about it. But it is. It, it would be a big, big, big hit to, to the momentum that we've built up if we don't come out of this game on Sunday with with three points. Yeah, completely agree. Um, Another subject that's been uh, heavily discussed over the last few days is, of course, or over the last 24 hours in particular, is Emile Smith-Rowe and England. Now, of course, Emile Smith-Rowe hasn't been called up to the senior squad. I think a lot of people out there expected him to have been given an opportunity this time, uh, this time around after some really good performances. I don't really care. Um, I've got to be honest, I, I don't really care that Emil Smith-Rowe is not going to play for England, um, mm. the senior side. I mean, it'll be great for the lad. And obviously, it's probably a massive confidence boost for anybody kind of making their way in the game. Do you think, first of all, that as fans, we should care? And second of all, do you think that being snubbed will be a problem for Emil Smith-Rowe? Yeah, this is this is one of those where we we are going to end up disagreeing on this because I care a lot. <laughs> I, I really care about this. This is this really bugged me when I saw the team. Uh, I remember I was just watching Telling Enough and it popped up, and I remember just sitting there, not seething, but I was very frustrated when I read that not only Smith Rowe but obviously Ben White as well. I thought yeah. actually deserved it more based upon the competition for those places in the position. Ben White deserved it more, and I'm sure we can talk about that. But Smith Rowe. For me, I, I've grown up in the last for the last 26 years, nearly 27 years of my life, with an England side that hasn't really contained too many Arsenal players. Uh, and I find that a real big shame. I think that there were the years where it was basically only Theo Walcott, Danny Welbeck sometimes got in it in the last kind of decade, Oxlade-Chamberlain a couple of times. But beyond that, we never really got back to where we had your Dixons of this world, your, your, your Tony Adams, your Sol Campbells, etc., getting into, into the lineups. 
it's been really frustrating. So when there's now this this kind of English core that Arsenal are building at the club with Saka and Ramsdale and White and Smith Rowe, and all of those four are putting in some really good performances at the moment, to to not have those English players in the team. I really care about and I find that really frustrating, especially when Emil Smith-Rowe currently has more goals and assists so far this Premier League campaign than Grealish, than Foden, uh, than obviously Sancho, who was dropped. Jesse Lingard was in the squad last time out. James Ward-Prowse has got back in it and I know that's a different style of position. But, I mean, you've got a chance, especially when we're playing someone like San Marino. Give the kid a, a chance in this team. That's a really good opportunity to throw Smith-Rowe in. So, yeah, I I really do care and I feel like you should too. <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest. Look, I've I've always been quite open about it. I, I don't support England. I, right, I can't. Okay. I, I find it really hard because when I was growing well, up, yeah, it was the team was you know, I don't know. It was a back four of Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, and <laughs> yeah, and then in midfield it was Scholes and Lampard yeah, and yeah. Gerrard, and then Kane. Nowadays you got Kane up front. And mm. to put it quite frankly, I can't stand any of them, and I couldn't stand any mm. of them, and. Being yeah. from a kind of different ethnic background, it didn't. Sure. England never really. I'm not saying I want them to lose every time they play or anything like that. I, but I'm indifferent about it. So for me, it's probably easier to be like, well, I don't really care if he plays for England. I understand why an England fan and an Arsenal fan would, um, you know, would want to, um, you know, would want to see that and would want to see that unfold and and that kind of relationship between someone like Smith Rowe and, and the national team. But for me, I just, I, I'm not that bothered. And I think for me as well, the other thing with Emil Smith Rowe in particular is over the course of last season, I felt like there were times where we didn't get the best out of him because he was fatigued, because he was tired, because we were rushing him back in fixtures when he probably didn't feel 100%. And, and so for me to give him a rest and have him play once a week and then have a little, I know he's going to play with the under 21s, but Obviously, that's probably, you know, maybe a little bit less intense, I would think, mm. you know, and, and obviously being involved in something like the England senior team, especially when it's your first call up, brings a lot of media attention, brings a lot of kind of pressure. Uh, mentally is quite a big weight. And obviously it's a good thing and a positive thing, but yeah, he could do with the rest, I think, is, is the way I'm looking at it. From a purely Arsenal perspective, I'm I'm happy for him just to just to chill out. Yeah, no, I, I get your point of view. I really do. Um, and as you say, as someone from a different ethnic background that doesn't necessarily support England, it makes complete sense. Like, you're not going to find that same connection, I suppose. I, I kind of separate it. I, I look to separate England and Arsenal. I look to separate the club associations with their players, with Arsenal's, if that makes sense. Like, I, I'm not necessarily sit, saying I sit down and get really up for friendlies and World Cup qualifiers. I don't. I some, To be honest, most of the time, I, I don't even watch them. I just can't get behind kind of the, the idea of a non-competitive game. And even though the qualifiers are competitive, they're so easy for England at times. And we go through those games. So it's, there's no stakes to them, really. Whereas with the actual kind of the, the, the elements of a, a tournament, that side of things is is very very different and that i love the unity that it brings to the country other than the idiots that ruin it for a lot of people but i love that side of things and if there's more arsenal players in it i'm more happy and that's it yeah fair play fair play um i can see some reports have been kind of doing the rounds this afternoon um, I don't know if you've had a chance to catch up with this because I've I've been out this afternoon and I've literally just sort of glanced at it Arsenal, apparently, according to Gianluca Di Marzio, have reached an agreement 
or an initial agreement with Fiorentina over striker Dusan Vlavic, but not with the player. And it also goes on to say that Arsenal would like to sign Vlavic as early as January mm. and are willing to meet the 80 million euro asking price, including bonuses. This sounds crazy to me. Um, mm. Listen, I'm a massive fan of Dusan Vlavic. As you know, I'm a big follower of Serie A and I think he is going to go on and be a very, very good player. 80 million euros feels a bit excessive, though. I've got to be honest. Have you got any thoughts my on money. this? <laughs> it's not my money. So I, when this kind of stuff comes up, when it's... When it's for someone like this, I don't get too yeah, I don't get too attached to the figures, to be honest. When you see some of them, like when the Ben White thing came up and it was 50 million pounds, that was a little bit more grounded because you've got a guy that's playing in the Premier League. I've seen a load of him. Um, and I'm thinking 50 million pounds in a position that, you know, we, we had quite a few players at centre back. Saliba's future wasn't yet decided at that point either. So I was looking at that going, I've got a few doubts about this, but in the end, I really got behind the signing and looked into Ben White a lot more and, and I, and I love the idea of it. And now he's proving that, that point right. And a lot of people wrong, which is great to see of Ben White, but with Flovich, like he is a player that I've seen when I've done the research, when we linked to him in the summer for the tactical breakdown shows that we did on the channel. And I speak a lot to Rich Hall, who's the chief correspondent at Football Italia, uh, and Cause, who's the editor-in-chief at Get Italian Football News. And they both like really like him. And they talk very highly of him. And the, the few stuff I've seen of him, he looks an absolute beast. Like he's got all the characteristics of a striker that we kind of that we need, but that we also lack. Like he's still got that kind of turn of pace about it, still, despite being quite tall. He's not a lumbering striker by any means. He's really good with the ball at his feet. He's really good in the air. He's got all of the characteristics that I feel like an Arsenal striker is both needing and lacking. And so if he's this kind of I don't want to describe him as the next Haaland, but you get that idea that he's a young striker that's got pace and height and verticality to his game that isn't necessarily slowing down. And this season, based off of last season, has not slowed down from last season. He's still scoring a hell of a lot more. And I want to see this continue to Arsenal. And if it means paying 80 million quid for him, I'm all on board for that because it doesn't come out of my pocket. So I'm much less kind of fussed about it in that sense. Yeah, and I, I guess the other thing is, it, he's a striker, right? So mm. we have to make sure that we remember that because people will say, you know, top players go for top money wherever they play. And that's right. But strikers bring you goals, the most precious thing in football. And therefore, strikers always, in my opinion, should cost more. And, you know, mm. I think that that probably, you know, what I'm trying to say is if you spend £50 million on a centre-half, shouldn't really have an issue with spending £80 million on a striker if you think mm -hmm. he's good enough. My only problem with Vlavic, and, and I've got to be honest about this, and I might come back to look like a real idiot in a couple of years. I like Dusan Vlavic. I've seen a lot of him, but I'm not convinced he would cut it in the Premier League week in, really? week out. Really? Why? Now. Why do you not think? Um, I don't know. I, I just get that feeling. I, it's really... I, I'm going to sound like an, an idiot, whatever way I put this, but yeah, I feel like the hype on Dusan Vlavic is is a little bit too big at the moment. Mm. I think Fiorentina started the season really, really positively. And obviously he started the season really well. I think he scored three goals in the first couple of weeks. Um, got a hat-trick against Spezia uh, last weekend, which really kind of boosts his goal stats up. But I just, I just feel like he's not quite... <sighs> 
I know what you mean. Like, I get that about Alexander Izak because I watch Spanish football as much mm. as I can. And a lot of people love Izak and they think yeah. he's the guy that Arsenal should go for. But I, like you with Lovic, just can't, I can't get my head around that one. Yeah, it's it's not that you don't rate the player. It's not that, you know, if you were to rank them like football manager style, right? Mm. All their different oh. attributes like yeah. shooting, passing, heading, crossing, whatever, speed, physicality, whatever you'd actually give him a high mark on quite a lot of them. Mm. But sometimes you look at a player and you just get a feeling about them. You get a gut feeling about them. And I feel like the Premier League is is very different to Serie A in style. And I think that what you get with players like Vlavic in Serie A, you're talking about a, a really big young lad who, you know, 21 years old, but, you know, he's massive. He's, he's so kind of physically dominating. And that physical dominance that he has in Serie A, mm. I think that disappears when you come to the Premier League or is at least nullified to a degree because yeah. you will be coming up against that level of physicality week in, week out. Do you think Lukaku's suffering from that? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He's the kind of example that I'd always use. I'm not saying Lukaku isn't a great player. He is. But I think we saw him be so dominant in Serie A because he was so much more physical than everybody else. And and that for me, um, you know, means that when you then come to the Premier League, your game needs to evolve even more. You need to adapt even more because you need to have something that everybody else doesn't. And I do feel like with Vlavic, that advantage he has now, which stands him out from everybody else. It's not to say like he's a big, um, you know, he's a big kind of target man and nothing mm. else. There's nothing else about him. But that advantage that he gets from his size, I think disappears when you come to the Premier League or at least is less significant. And that's why I'm a little bit worried about him. And he's still young and he's still got a long way to go in terms of developing. I'd like us to sign him, but 80 million. I know I said I'd spend it on a striker. If I was sure it was the right striker, I'm not 100% sure about Vlavic at the moment. Um, and, and there's a few people uh, chatting uh, in the chat about it. Well, I haven't even been looking at the chat. I'll have a look now. Uh, we'll pick out a few comments before we move on. Uh, Dubba Ducky says, Harry doesn't... What a name, Dubba Ducky. Harry doesn't <laughs> rate Vlavic. Tom doesn't rate Isak. Can you guys meet in the middle on a third striker target? I think we'll have to think about that one, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, Give me a few. <laughs> yeah. Reggie says, Harry, hasn't the Ramsdale slander meant that we might want to give Arteta and Edu a little bit of space on this one. Yeah, look, Reggie, if they're going to do it, if they think that Vlahovic is the man and they're going to go out and sanction that deal and make it happen, you're not going to catch me sitting here saying, I don't want Vlahovic, this is a shit signing. You know, yeah. I, I give every signing a chance. I'll share my opinion on it initially. Like with Ramsdale, I openly said, I don't really have a problem with Ramsdale. I have a problem with us not signing a centre midfielder yet. But going out to buy a goalkeeper who I thought was going to be the second choice goalkeeper for twenty five million pounds—that was my issue there. So mm. it's it's a little bit different. But have they earned the right now, Tom Arteta and Edu, for us to sit back a little bit and um, you know kind of just give them that space without being too critical? No, <laughs> I don't think you ever do. Uh, I don't think you ever earn the right to just sit back and say I trust it. I trust it without a shadow of a doubt because it, that's not how it works. That's not how football works. Like you, Jurgen Klopp, right, won the Premier League, won the Champions League. Does that mean that if he has a season where Liverpool fall to 10th in the league that he's no longer under pressure? No. It, you build up stock 
sure. But you can't just sit back and not have an opinion on a player because what's gone before has been good. And obviously, it's not all been good. Like the summer was great. We talked about earlier, Gabriel and Partey, great. But they have got some misses in them. And we know that from Willian. We know that from Alex Runison. But sometimes it's not always going to necessarily work out. And 80 million euros, they've not yet spent kind of a figure in that kind of bracket. The highest we've gone to is for a Ben White, for a Partey. And if you think about it, Ben White is an established Premier League player, was very good at for Brighton in the Premier League. So it's, it's not the £50 million is how much you pay for a young English Premier League proven centre-back. Thomas Partey is a, in my view, world-class central midfielder that came at a buyout clause that we had to pay to get him out of that contract. When you start putting in a in an 80 million euro bid, despite me saying a second ago, it's not my money, so I don't care. But when you look at it in closed analysis, 80 million pounds, you're getting into the Nicolas Pepe realms of figures. And that comes with added pressure and expectation. And if it doesn't work out, then you've got a, a black mark on your record like Raul Sanyehi did with, with Pepe now. So I think it's it, it does take it to a different level when you start going into these kind of figures. Yeah. No, completely agree. Um, let's see what else we've got. You know what? Get some questions in for the last few minutes. Get some of your questions in uh, to the live chat. I will start keeping an eye on the chat. Apologies. I've kind of been a little bit oblivious to it um, while we were talking. That's what happens when you get into good conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Said says, uh, good evening, Harry. How are you? It's been a long time since I joined your live shows. I've been very busy with work. And then goes on to donate a super chat. Said, thank you so, so much, mate. Really appreciate it. I hope everything is good and glad to see you back in the chat box. Right. Uh, uh, Ollie says, Harry, were you David Wallace in the office? What's uh, Who's David Wallace? <laughs> Do you know? Hold Tom? on. Let me just remind myself of who David Wallace was in the office. Oh, wow. No, that's an awful shout. No. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. It's dreadful. I've got to be honest, right? Shout. I... My mates all watch The Office and they bang on about it and they drop quotes about it left, right and centre all the time. And I don't even know what they're talking about. because It's I the watched... American Office version. So oh, is it the American one? Yeah. It's... I think they're both shit from what I've seen. of them. Oh, that's a, oh, that's a big call. The the English, the Ricky Gervais's office is a masterpiece. But <laughs> I, I, I didn't get it, man. I, I, I just didn't get it. I watched about mm. four or five, maybe six episodes. and I just Have you worked know. in an office environment before? Yeah. For yeah. years and years. Really? And years. That's strange then, because I mean, we're not like in a, like working as a teacher in a staff room. Like I see the characters that like that are there. Like you just see them. It's funny. That's that's yeah. why I don't know why. Maybe it was just a different environment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Maybe. I, I never know. thought we'd be talking about this on this show. <laughs> that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty yeah. of it. We can go wherever we want. Uh, going back to the Vlavic thing, uh, Tabras says Dusan is better than Dominic Calvert Lewin, age wise and injury record. I think we'd do well to choose him over the Everton man. Thoughts? Would you take him over DCL, as he's known, Tom? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I really, I really like, as the viewers know on my channel, I like DCL. I like Calvert Lewin. I think that it, I, I like the idea of going for a Premier League proven striker. I, I like that. We don't, we haven't done that in so long. This was the first summer that we went out and got White and Ramsdale. We don't go out and sign Premier League proven talent. And it's proving like it's working. Like It's, it's looking like it's going well. And I know that he's got an injury issue at the moment. 
but that happens with literally every player. Like Thomas Partey never suffered with an injury at Atletico Madrid. Just didn't. Comes to Arsenal and all he's faced is injuries. You, In my view, it's only when you get down to kind of the serious knee injuries, Jack Wilshere levels of, of injury that you start to waver. But this is, for, me, for my money and from knowing about the DCL situation, it's not... It's not one of those injuries you're like, oh yeah, he's gonna. It's not worthy of, of discounting him as a, as an option. So, I still would go for DCL over Vlahovic. I think he's less of a risk because you haven't got that transition to the Premier League as the stuff you were talking about a second ago. So yeah, I I would go for for DCL. I mean, he's, you say age wise, he's 24. Like, <laughs> let's be real. Like, that's a really good age to buy a striker. It means you're going to get the next five years up until they're 29, of getting the absolute best of your investment. So you don't have to worry about them being a 21-year-old like Lovahovic is and then suffering because they're still young and they've got a lot of development still to do. Yeah, no, agreed. Uh, Don Saki says, don't you think we should go for a centre midfielder instead of a striker? I would say so. I'd say that's a more pressing need right now. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Here you go. Good stuff. I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, we're approaching 6 p.m. That's gone really, really bloody quickly, really hasn't fast. it? Really fast. Really fast. Um, thank you all so much uh, for tuning in. Don't forget that you can find this uh, on audio or in audio format across the Guna Talk and the Chronicles of Aguna. We'll be back next week at some point. We'll let you know uh, on Tom's channel as well. So we're going to keep rotating it between the two. But that shouldn't matter because you should be subscribed to both anyway. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already. We're on 75 likes. I think we can probably get it up to 100 by the time the outro plays. So smash the like button if you haven't done so already. Tom, just give people a reminder of where they can find your channel and all the brilliant work you do. Cheers, mate. Yeah, it's uh, at the Guna Talk TV on Twitter. Just type in the Guna Talk onto YouTube and it will come up with join you for as we say every week myself and i really happy to be doing this it's uh it was a good idea we get good feedback on every single show so thank you so much for your support and if you want to check out a morning show if you're finding you're waking up and you've got nothing to do 8 a.m every single day throwing out an 8 a.m show for people so uh that's there as well mate i've got to say how do you do that man <laughs> 8 a.m like, it's just a it's commitment is what it is <laughs> like i've got i've got two kids under the age i don't agree right exactly why. yeah but exactly yeah so i'm up at that time because i have to be and i still can't bring myself to podcast so the fact that you do that is without having been woken up by a couple of bratlings is fantastic yeah so, uh, Yes, I don't know why. I just got into the rhythm now. It's just a part of my life. <laughs> so, yeah. No, brilliant stuff. Make sure you guys do head over and check those morning shows out. We'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, take care, enjoy your weekend, and uh, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.